Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Hello, world. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business Channel. And we're broadcasting right across the world from Hollywood Boulevard in Hollywood, California, where technology meets entertainment. Well, we survived Black Friday, Small Business Saturday, Cyber Monday, and the results are in. About 10 million more Americans shopped online than in stores over this Black Friday weekend. The migration of consumers from stores to online shopping over the Thanksgiving Black Friday weekend continued dramatically this year, and this added enormous pressure to the brick-and-mortar retailers as they try to compete with Amazon.com. A survey released by the National Retail Federation estimated that 108.5 million Americans shipped online over the last weekend, well above the 99 million who hit the stores. Last year, the numbers were about even for both avenues of shopping. It's not a surprising finding, given that Target and Coles, among others, reported record online sales on Thanksgiving. Online shopping not only eclipsed the $5 billion mark for Thanksgiving and Black Friday, in fact, I heard that it hit $12 billion today, but US online sales from Thursday to Saturday rose 17.3% to $7.5 billion. And many retailers, including Walmart, began their Black Friday deals online right after midnight on Thanksgiving morning. And I guess this explains why so many malls were quiet overnight leading up to Black Friday. You know, remember last year, what a frenzy as people queued for days and days and days and then all the fights as people tried to get specials but this weekend reasonably quiet so between online and the spreading out of all the deals throughout the month we've seen a much more calm civilized and quite a different process for shopping but to compete with amazon.com traditional retailers have been pouring billions billions into their e-commerce offerings Retailers have upgraded shopping apps. They're equipping stores to handle pickups for online orders, as well as how they ship online orders, and introduce mobile payment apps. And these efforts have led to sharper e-commerce performance for many retailers. Target and Walmart, for instance, reported higher online growth rates last quarter than in any previous quarters. So these retailers are also finally understanding that their consumers don't distinguish between a brand's stores and its website. Target this year made its Cyber Monday deals available in stores as well, and Walmart started its Cyber Monday sales on Black Friday. The brick-and-mortar retailers' websites, yeah, they held up pretty well, with the notable exception of Macy's, whose site had trouble keeping up with the heavy traffic on Black Friday. The one downside is the drop in spending for those who did shop. The average sh- shopper spent $289.19, which is down $10 from last year. And uh, I guess this was brought about by deflation in the uh, electronics area, mainly, I guess, one of the biggest categories this weekend, and also for heavy discounting. Now, If you're a regular listener to this show or you read my daily 30-second read newsletters, and if you don't, you are crazy. You get it every morning. You can read it in 30 seconds. It gives you all sorts of great information, 30 seconds. So when you go to the water cooler, you can talk to people and they think you're really smart or maybe just learn a whole bunch of stuff you didn't know before. So if you're not subscribing to my 30-second read newsletter, go to my website, bobpritchard.com, and uh, subscribe. You won't regret it. 81,000 other business executives read it, so why not you? 
You should. You owe it to yourself. You've worked too hard to get this far not to read my daily newsletter. But if you do listen to this show and read the newsletter, you'll know that we're the Bob Pritchard Organisation. We're all about supporting entrepreneurs. And let me just tell you about some exceptional young talent. Now, Stripe is a US fintech firm founded by two Irish brothers in 2011, Patrick and John Collison. They were 22 and 20 at the time. They've raised $150 million in a funding round and their company is valued at over $9 billion. 22 and 20. <laughs> wow. It takes me months to earn a billion dollars. These guys make $9 billion. The investment round was led by Capital G and General Catalyst and also included participation from existing investors, including Sequoia Capital, Peter Thiel, and Elon Musk. Not a bad bunch of guys to have investing in your company. Now, Stripe's payments platform has become increasingly popular with startups, with businesses like Deliveroo and Kickstarter, who use the service, as well as large companies, including SAP, Adidas, Slack, Medium, Daily Mail, and both US presidential campaigns became Stripe customers. They now have users in 110 countries, is one of the biggest new technology companies in the US, and values the business, as I mentioned before, at $9 billion. It allows businesses to accept and track digital payments, and they intend to use the money that they've raised to build more products, invest in and inquire other companies, and expand into new markets. It also intends to expand the platform into areas such as company incorporation and fraud prevention. So Patrick and John, from zero to five billion in just five years, you are definitely our entrepreneurs of the week. But speaking of exceptional achievements, 11-year-old Elma Dusha is about to debut her first opera after writing her first sonata five years ago when she was six. Elma, did I mention she's 11, is a composer, a virtuoso pianist and a concert violinist, and her first full opera has its world premiere next month. So we're not living music. The child prodigy from England is busy scraping her knees, climbing trees, meeting friends on the playground, swimming and doing other stuff that an 11-year-old would do. But when she's focused on a passion, she's all business. Rehearsing Cinderella recently, Elma gave instructions and effortlessly, effortlessly sang phrases in a clear soprano switching from piano to violin and back as she accompanied the soloists. <laughs> it's unbelievable, isn't it, how talented these people are? Violin virtuoso Anne-Sophie Mutter describes Elma's performance and composing talents as absolutely extraordinary. Now, Elma recalls falling in love with music sometime around two years old. It was a Strauss lullaby, and uh, she picked it up straight away she sat down at the piano didn't write any of her ideas down just had it in her head and then played them so f future plans for this 11 year old include a piano concerto and a symphony she has started a book which she once made into a film complete with her own score boy oh boy 11 years old <laughs> i feel like a total failure so what does it take to create a successful startup? Firstly, identify the pain points to be solved, then create a must-have solution. So let me give you an example. In 2009, John Joe Montaniel was working at a finance job at Credit Suisse, working 90 hours a week, absolutely hated it. He quit and he built a startup that powers some of the hottest clubs and restaurants in the world. The idea for the startup stemmed from one simple reason. He really, really hated his job. And the brutal pace of his day job made it hard to have a social life. 
to have any vacations or try out new restaurants and nightclubs or, in fact, do anything interesting. And in a world where you're finding out whether you're off or not at 8 o'clock, it made it impossible to plan to go out, very difficult to get dates, so he wanted out of there. The first iteration of the company was an open table-like site for nightlife called Night Loop, and he spent three years working on Night Loop on the side while he was working his full-time job. And the app allowed users to book reservations at nightclubs in advance and on the website's first day, website's first day, 100,000 people visited the site. But unfortunately, no one came back. Now, that is not a good sign. So Joe knew he was onto something, though. He just needed to learn more about building technology. So he took a job as the chief of staff to Robert Locascio, who's the CEO of New York-based software company Live Person. There he learned how to run a business, launch a product, and how to think about culture. He was also doing something else on the side, working behind the host stand at nightclubs and restaurants around the city and getting to know the owners to try and understand what the industry really needed. The biggest pain points, he realised, were that most places were still using a pen and paper to take down reservations. Bookings were coming in through different channels like email and text messages, and there was no centralised place to keep customer data. Now, in 2011... Montaniel decided to launch Seven Rooms, which is a digital platform built specifically for businesses in the hospitality industry that help them manage reservations and customer data all in the one place. So Seven Rooms is an iPad app that serves as a central hub for front of house operations. This is pretty cool. So while the company does serve as a platform for booking reservations, the main difference between Seven Rooms and competitors like Resi or Open Table is that Seven Room stores extensive customer data. So a hostess or a door person is able to look up a customer's name on an iPad and quickly find out information like when they were there last, who they came with, what they ordered, the price of bottles of wine they order, any food allergy they might have, whether they're a VIP, all sorts of information and that really sets them apart. It also has the ability for larger hotel clubs or restaurant chains to use that data across all of their properties. The software costs businesses $495 a month per property, although there are a number of add-ons that a company can purchase as well. Now, seven rooms is currently being used by more than 100 companies across the world. So, a great successful and profitable idea created after determining the industry's pain point. What I love about this guy is that he tried, it didn't work, so he went out into the industry, he found out as much information as he could, he worked... um, in his potential customers' premises. He got to know people. He networked so that when he went back with an iteration, he, um, he he understands it all. He knows exactly what it is. And so he was able to tailor it exactly for what the market required and now he's in 100 premises around the world in just a short period of time. Um, speaking of my daily newsletter, I received a threatening email a couple of days ago from Sam Parr. He's involved with a newsletter called The Hustle, and he accused me of plagiarism. Now, I didn't get the basis of the article that I wrote from Hustle. I actually was sent it by another individual friend of mine from Metal, who I acknowledged in the article. But um, apparently Sam Parr believes that everything that's on the internet originated at his publication. So um, it was one of the occasional stories in Hustle that was worth repeating. So, Sam, I apologise for um, 
using any material that might have been yours originally before it went round the web many, many times. And uh, it would appear to me that if um, if things weren't retweeted and uh, recirculated on the web, there would be absolutely no information out there whatsoever. Anyway, the um, newsletter is called Hustle, and occasionally there is something worth reading in it. Now, my guest today is my friend Larry Twersky, who's another metal member and a visionary and serial entrepreneur. This guy's really smart, and he's, his whole deal is about doing good things for society. He, um, he really wants to leave the world a much better place than he found it, and uh, his focus is to help people feel better about themselves and do more with their lives through technology and scientific marketing and uh, create processes that are more effective and more different. You came across Larry originally with a thing called 1-800-DENTIST, which got was just went gangbusters, and now he's got another fantastic product. And I'll be back with Larry immediately after this short break on the Voice America Business Network. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking Radio Show. Now, over the past five and a half years, we've given you the insights into the lives of over 350, I think, of the world's most interesting business people. We've spoken about what they do. And we've tried to work out what makes them tick. You know, it's extremely difficult to create a successful business. You know, the failure rate of startups is about 95, 96%. So we all need to receive all the advice and all the coaching and the mentoring that we can get from entrepreneurs who've already achieved success. And that's the aim of this segment, is to assist you to become more successful. Now, in the face of um, US healthcare challenges, Larry Twersky immediately recognized the importance of timer cap. I love this little gadget. I saw it about a few months ago, and it's terrific, but we'll talk about that in a sec, and the broad impact that it could have on millions of lives. Now, Larry serves as the company's CEO, where his primary role is keeping the team focused on the mission of engaging current healthcare challenges at the intersection of technology and pharmacy, and then taking that to market. So TimerCap creates solution-driven products that result in improved healthcare outcomes, enabling people of all ages to live healthier and more productive lives. Now, previously, this is a bloody smart idea too. Previously, Larry served as president of 1-800-DENTIST, making it the largest and most successful dental practice marketing program in the nation. He uh, is also a fellow member of the extraordinary metal organisation that I talk about frequently. Larry, welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, and you're being heard all around the world. 
Good morning, or good afternoon, or good evening, Bob, whatever time this is playing, because we know it could be streamed. So um, I'll just say it. And uh, thank you for having me today. Um, looking forward to talking. Now, if I go on Wheel of Fortune, I can buy a vowel for 250 bucks and have, and have a chance of winning the game, right? So if you could buy one skill that would make you a better CEO, what would that skill be? Um, you know what? I think the skill that I would buy is uh, my ability to uh, write better. Um, uh, I think into you know when I started, uh, I prefer sitting in front of a group. You can put me in front of five thousand people, right. no sweat. Put me in front of an email that I have to type to everybody, and I freeze up. Uh, I I probably think that my uh, writing skills need to be better. Uh, which is why I hired people to write for me, and <laughs> I'm doing video and talking to you on the phone. <laughs> yeah, well, you're you're very good in a face-to-face um, environment. You're very confident. You've got that. You pro- project such a great image. But but the, um, the 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 real question I think that uh, you're bringing up is, you know, that you have to know what your weakness is, and if you know what your weakness is, you need to shore it up with your team. Yeah. And so while I can buy a vowel, right, one of the things that I should buy is who's going to be on my team? Like, who are the people I need to surround me? And when you're talking to your uh, young entrepreneurs, old entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs, um, you know, one of the things is, is trying to find a diversity of the team that makes you stronger. So I hire people that could write better than me. I hire people that are more organized than me. And I don't necessarily need to be the smartest one in the room because I never am, but I need to hire the smartest people so that we make the strongest possible team. Because if I hired everybody like me, all we'd have is, um, you, you know, a group of people that didn't, um, uh, were, were one-dimensional. And couldn't write. <laughs> couldn't write. Right. And be honest, right. And couldn't write, couldn't write for anything. Um, if, if you're a, a young startup entrepreneur, though, and you don't have the money to go out and hire lots of people, what's the most important skill that a young entrepreneur needs today? Uh, I, I believe uh, the social selling. Um, you know, on LinkedIn, there's a, what they call the SSI score, Social Selling Index. Yep. You know, that they really have to understand what their uh, social, you know, web reputation is and uh, their social selling and their social ability, which is why I talk about writing. But the, 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 the need to uh, find out what you want to do, um, you know, there's a, um, for an entrepreneur, uh, there's a Japanese, I think it's the Japanese term, ikigai, you know, why do you get up in the morning and what's your purpose? And uh, the clarity of your ikigai and your purpose will drive you better and better. And so that's really what I could tell people, number one, is that if you're not passionate, right, uh, what I say is a pact uh, only runs as fast as the leader, right? Sure. The pact. And sure. so if you're not running fast and you're not running in, in the line that you need, then you're not, never going to get there. So know why you're getting up in the morning and make sure you reinforce that every day. One of the things that uh, we talk about on this program all the time is the need to have mentors. And I know you've got a mentor group. Well, you've got a fantastic mentor group. You, you know, um, people like Walter O'Brien, who's um, the program... Um, um, Scorpion. Scorpion was written around. And uh, another member of metal but you've got a fantastic mentor group but for a, a startup how do you get those people around you to give you the advice you need well first of all the younger you are and even if you're just in college or high school people will talk to you and and most people don't understand that um my old partner fred Joyle, i think who's fred's been on the show and i and yep. Uh, we used to be in a, a, a program called Young and Motivated. And every time we gave the talk, a few hundred kids, we'd both put up our email addresses, phone numbers, and say, anytime you want to talk, give us a call. Here's our numbers directly. And almost nobody did. It's kind of like, you know, the pretty girl in, you know, never gets asked out because she's too pretty. Yeah. Most people are too scared to talk to people who they think are accomplished. And by all means, most everybody who's accomplished is willing to give back because 
You know, they're where they are because they climbed on somebody else's shoulders. Tomorrow, I'm actually doing an entrepreneur conference in Santa Clarita and talking to young entrepreneurs about it. And so the one thing that I can tell your listeners is just do it. Just ask, go online, find out who's been there, done that, and call them. If the first person says no, the next one will say yes, but you just have to ask. It, yeah. Nobody's going to just do it and say, hey, by the way, call me. I'm free. I mean, yeah. they'll, they'll do these interviews. So I believe it's just ask. Yeah, I had a, I had a policy when I was younger, much younger, <laughs> where once a week I would try to contact somebody who was – you know, very successful, and I would ring, and I'd ring, and I'd ring, and I'd ring. I'd say, "Could I speak to Mr. Bezos, please?" And no. Could I speak to Mr. Bezos, please? <laughs> and you know what? It's amazing how often you get. I spoke to Jeff Bezos after about the fourth or the fifth call because I simply came clean and said, "Look, I'm I'm new, I'm young, I'm fresh. I want to talk to somebody who's been there and done that." And today you're it, <laughs> and it worked well. It really worked Always. well. Yeah. And so, so just get started. And it's just uh, don't wait for perfection. Everybody feels like they're, they're inadequate and they're not ready yet. And guess what? In today's world, we're never ready. That's, we're never prepared. That's just true. do it. And um, one of the things that I would tell entrepreneurs is fail fast, fail cheap, then get it right and replicate it. Most entrepreneurs are in love with their first idea yeah. And usually um, the market needs to reinvent it and tweak it, you know, so that they can pivot once or twice. Right. And we could talk about that. And so, uh, you know, what we call, there's two types of items, right? Build the test and build the last. Every entrepreneur should build the test and then ask, 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 ask. Yeah. No, I agree with that. So for the benefit of our listeners that might not know what timer cap is, would you like to just give us the sort of overview of timer cap? Sure. Well, timer cap is a timer cap uh, that basically has a cap on it. And if you can see my screen, I'm yeah. going to be showing you. Here's a cap. It's a medicine bottle that has a stopwatch on top of it. All you do is you open it, the stopwatch stops, put it on, and it starts up again. Um, it's great for opioid uh, prevention and detection, which is really where we're seeing a lot of challenges with most people in their medication. A lot of people who are on opioid abuse um, really needed to have a tool. It'd be like driving a car without a speedometer, right? Most yeah. people take their medication, and you forget the last time you took it, especially if you're impaired. You know, when was the last time I took it? Now I'm impaired. Now I really don't know when the last time I took it. The fact is, is the same thing would happen with a speedometer. You could be driving. You know you're going some speed. You just don't remember what it was. And you can see the posted <laughs> signs, yeah. you know. And, and if the only time you uh, got to know what your speed was is when a cop pulled you over, well, then that's, not ineff that, that's inefficient. The same thing's happening in the pharmacy industry, right. and we're here to fix it. And how's it, how's it going? You're accepted quite widely, aren't you? Well, uh, the great news is, is we're in every CVS, we're in every Rite Aid, and a lot of other pharmacies across the country because we're the only product that is, a, uh, is uh, going on medication bottles, which medications dispensed in, right. and now you know uh, what you have. So you keep the labeling and the safety information, and we're in the apothecary sections of most pharmacies. And so uh, you're going to hear more and more about us, and that's just our simple product. We have a brand new product, which is called the iCap, which right. talks to a smartphone, updates health records, and can update your caregiver anywhere in the world. So I then know if my mom took her medication uh, anywhere where I'm at. And that's so we have a mother-in-law that w we can now see what's happening. So that's really important. That's brilliant. Now, there's talk that time caps going into the cannabis industry. Is that true? And if it is, how and why did you pick that in, apart from the fact that it's about to explode? <laughs> why did you, <laughs> you wake up in the middle of the night and go, aha, cannabis, that's my go? Well, Yes, we have the cannabis industry. <laughs> um, so we have it in the larger bottles. We also have it in the smaller bottles. And uh, we customize the cap based on what you want. 
for uh, the cannabis industry. Cannabis is pretty similar to opioids, right? Yeah. So as soon as you take your medication, you, you are already impaired. And now you need to know when it's happening. If you look at what happened in Colorado when recreational marijuana was approved, we saw a huge increase in uh, fatal car accidents in Colorado. And now that it's being approved more and more, we want to be a compliance package that says, hey, be responsible. If you're taking uh, this for recreation, know when the last time you've taken it. So before you drive, like I, I have people who have ADD meds and they shouldn't be driving if they haven't taken their meds, right? right. And and cannabis people shouldn't be driving if they did take their meds. Right? So, so either way, you got it down. <laughs> the difference is that I realize that they shouldn't be driving. <laughs> right. Uh, plus, if you remember when Domino's had the 30 minutes for your pizza, yep. you know, if you have cannabis and you put your cap on, two things you know, A, is my pizza late? And two, did my roommates get into my stash? Right. So, <laughs> so either way, we, we find that we're one of the best first-time gifts for dispensaries and that a lot of dispensaries give us away because you can keep your logo and your name, uh, and it's a safety tool better for the community. So we, we find that uh, opioids and cannabis are very much linked, that the more we find people not being able to get uh, opioids in the traditional market, they're moving to cannabis to solve some of their pain requirements. What sort of price is timer cap? Is there a range of price? Well, the the actual timer caps uh, can be found at most of the pharmacies uh, for three for ten dollars or less. Wow! And okay. They run specials if you're a loyalty member. There's some chains that actually give it away instead of giving twenty five dollar gift certificates. They give it away on every new and uh, transfer prescriptions. So you just have to ask your pharmacist about putting a timer cap on it. Like when you talked about timer cap and one eight hundred dentist, all of our businesses are much more about what we call the duh factor. Like, yeah. how simple is it to explain? Is it a duh, like, okay, timer cap. Yeah, it's a stopwatch on top of a cap. You right. know, 1-800-DENTIST, call a phone number. What do you get? Well, you're going to get a dentist when you call that number. <laughs> like, yeah, hello. <laughs> so those are the types of things we look at. You know, how simple of a business, because it's, you know, to your entrepreneurs, it's much more about execution than the idea, the ideas, there's tons of ideas out there, but who's executing it properly and really making it a go? And that's really what we find is that um, it, it, do you have a complex idea? That takes a long time to explain. Sure. So what, um, what was the biggest challenge you had with Timer Cap? Once you, once you developed it, what was the biggest challenge to getting it into the marketplace? We're still finding that the, the biggest challenge is most people don't know it, understand it, and doctors aren't prescribing it. And that we find um, a, a need for um, uh, the, uh, the pharmacies and the doctors to want to reimburse this. Right. There's a challenge with medical not wanting to pay for what we call compliance packaging, a, a medication like birth controls in a compliance packaging. It, it helps the patient take their medication on a more consistent basis. Right. Timer caps in there. And so more and more we're going to find with the apps, you know, for, uh, medicals not paying for apps yet, but the, the biggest challenge we're finding is that doctors wanting to prescribe it. And that's why we're really on uh, the, the bandwagon trying to get doctors to really understand that it's in the pharmacies, it's in their aisles, and that customers can buy it, and doctors need to write it as a prescription, especially when it's an opioid or any other type of an impairment uh, product. And particularly for older people, I guess. Absolutely. And for that, we have uh, connected pill boxes and uh, other items. So um, uh, those are the types of things we have. So the, the eye cap and the pill box and um, other things are really um, what we want to make sure we help uh, elders stay independent longer. Right. Now, I'm going to come back to a question that ties in with this, but you enjoyed huge success with 1-800-DENTIST. And for a sizable number of um, listeners who reside outside the US, nearly 10 million Americans have found a qualified, well-regarded dentist in their area through 1-800-DENTIST. So, um, that was going great guns. So, 
and one of the reasons that I think it, you couldn't get away from 1-800-DENTIST, it was on television, it was all over the place. There was a huge amount of publicity for it. So if you're saying that the awareness of uh, timer cap isn't quite what you want it to be, how come I'm not seeing timer cap all over the place? Uh, great, great question. First of all, uh, 800 Dentist was a great success. Um, uh, my business partner, Fred Joel, absolutely creative genius. Uh, that and we spent a ton of money uh, <laughs> promoting it and advertising it. Uh, because we're in most of the pharmacies under their brand name, so like if you look at yeah. Rite Aid, it's under the Rite Aid brand, like, and if you look at CVS, yep. you know, which has more stores, it's under the CVS brand. So for us advertising a, uh, an inexpensive product as much as we did the other sure. one, it's not really there. Um, we're expecting uh, the Wall Street Journal, CBS, ABC, and NBC, and some of the majors to really cover this. And so the first issue is, is we're really uh, getting medical professionals to understand that, that it should be a, um, not allowed to dispense opioids without a timer cap or some type of compliance packaging. Right. You know, when that happens, you know, everything takes off. Yeah. And so it's a, it's a matter of um, reimbursement. You know, a lot of people won't do what's right for them if insurance doesn't pay for it. Yeah. Right. And so that's just where we're at. We'll, you know, it, uh, you know, after about 10 years, we'll become an overnight success like most companies. <laughs> and, and it's just a matter of how long can you stay and, and uh, uh, do what you need to do before, um, you know, it's like watering a plant, waiting for it to just grow above the earth, right? And then yep. you see the little green stem. We're just seeing it grow, the little green stem, and now we need it to blossom. But um, it's a matter of care and feeding. Right. The um, How did you go from... 1-800-DENTIST to timer cap. How, how did that happen? So uh, almost every business that I've done, and this is something for your listeners, is uh, working with people who I know and I trust. Uh, my wife and I have a philosophy um, of investing. It's number one, do something good for society. Two, have fun. Three, make money in that order. Right. And with, with those three, you know, 50% of the population doesn't see a dentist on a regular basis uh, and 1-800-DENTIST. And uh, when they were having trouble, we came in and um, was asked to come in and we came in and helped. Same with Timer Cap. We invested when they first started with one of our business partners. And um, it turned out we, uh, we made a bigger investment and, and uh, really started to run it and uh, see that it got traction. But both of them have a health benefit both of them, you know, 50% of the population don't take their medication as prescribed, causing, contributing, or exacerbating $680 billion in additional medical expenses. Right. And so as long as I'm above the earth, uh, <laughs> I want to make sure my icky guy is about doing something good for society, having fun and making money. And so in that order, and, and if you're not having fun, there's no amount of money that can make up for that. You know, and there's a lot of people who do a lot of jobs, and I'm not saying that's bad. It's, you know, a business is uh, built for the benefit of a shareholders, and our benefit of our shareholders is we want to make sure we're doing something good for society. There's a lot of people who might not see it that way, and that's what their shareholders want. You know, there's a lot of shareholders that want to wring every last dollar out of a company, sure. you know, no matter what the uh, collateral damage is. That's not who we're about. And so that's why we pick the kind of products we do um, and the um, companies that we are picking. Does that help? You're on the right side of history because there is a massive shift right now by corporations to doing the right thing, to being a good corporate citizen, a good community citizen either way. Um, but there's a huge shift and the public and particularly the younger generation do support companies that are doing good. And, and we find that, but I, I think the companies that are now saying it and getting on the bandwagon are just still trying to wring the last bit of profit out of the business. <laughs> and, you, you know, and, and they're slightly two-faced. It's so, um, you know, there's a lot of genuine companies out there and I applaud them. And there's a lot of companies that um, are say they are, but when you really look at the uh, secret sauce, um, it's full of bad ingredients. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, you were talking about the cost of um, uh, 
drug interactions, etc., on the community. Um, you, you may know that we have a new president elect. Um, I've heard. Yeah, 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 I heard it. I saw it somewhere. Um, and healthcare is such a trigger point, and it's a very difficult issue globally. Um, it doesn't matter where you go in the world. If you go, you land in London. The first thing you read in the paper is all the problems with the healthcare system. You arrive in Australia, it's the same thing. You go to Vietnam. It doesn't matter where you go in the world, nobody's been able to solve that healthcare problem. So what do you think is going to happen to healthcare in the US during not only this administration but going forward? Well, I think if we, um, if we had a different outcome from the election, it would be the same old, same old. You know, we have somebody who, who got elected, hired the right professionals to, to get himself elected, and hired the right team, whether you like it or not, uh, political or not. Yep. The, the, the man got elected and, and, had, and, and followed the instructions from a team. I hope he, can, he follows suit and goes forward with that, and that we're going to see some, A, more business-friendly health care. You know, we can't possibly sustain... Uh, the impact to the GDP, um, you know, effect that we're seeing on how much healthcare is costing everybody, and that um, we're going to see more preventative uh, medications and more preventative solutions coming up, which today aren't being done. I mean, today, you know, there were some great strides by Obamacare. Obamacare tried to put in accountability into healthcare prior to Obamacare. There was no accountability, meaning doctors got paid more for incompetence than competence. What do I mean by that? I mean, a doctor that would go in and you go see the doctor and you said, hey, doctor, my elbow hurt. He got paid for that visit. He go, doctor, after a week, it still hurts. He he puts a Band-Aid on and a thing, he still gets paid. He then says, doctor, it still hurts. He does surgery, still gets paid for it. So medicine's based on successive failures. And so an incompetent doctor can make more because he gets paid for every office visit and treatment and everything else than if a doctor fixed it on the first try. Now, that's different in dentistry. In dentistry, you know, insurance only pays for that restoration in that tooth one time. That's it. And so dentistry was based on success. Medicine's based on failure. So a doctor, a dentist who took three or four times or more time to fix a tooth makes less money, a doctor who screws it up makes more money. And so I hope that the uh, new administration starts to make it look more like dental and that a doctor gets paid to keep his patients healthy because a doctor doesn't make any money for a healthy patient. He only makes money on a sick patient and that we fix that problem and that's where I think it is. And so I, maybe I'm too much on my soapbox, but uh, I appreciate the, uh, the I, <laughs> going at it. I, I'm interested in your comment that uh, healthcare should be more business friendly. Shouldn't healthcare be people friendly? Well, considering that, um, you know, healthcare today is considered a benefit that business should pay for, right? With all the items and the burden now that, um, the Obama administration put on business that a you have to have this amount of people and you have to take care of it. That the that business friendly to me means that in some countries your insurance follows the usage of the individual. To be individual friendly should say that your insurance should be different than mine. If I take care of myself, if you smoke, you should pay more money. If if you're not exercising, you should pay more money. But it's the healthy people that are burdened by uh, people not following just proper instructions. And so that is a benefit that people feel a company should give to them and, uh, and not individually paid for in one way, shape, or form. So I think when I talk about more business-friendly, I think I am talking about it being more individual responsibility, too. Although, isn't, isn't your health something that you're entitled to? You know, people are entitled to be looked after if they're unhealthy or born unhealthy or, you know, have, have a problem. Aren't they, aren't they entitled? It's a bit like education. Aren't they entitled to education? Uh, I, don't believe that, I don't believe anybody is born entitled to anything. I believe everything, you know, uh, if you're a caveman, I mean, when did entitlement come into 
place. I mean, at some point, somebody said, let's have uh, entitlements, right, which is everybody needs to be healthy, no child left behind, uh, you know, entitlement, 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 burden, burden, burden on a, a system. When do individuals finally take responsibility for their own actions? Because until you have that, you can't fix the system. Okay. Okay. And, and we're way off business, by the way, Bob. Yeah, so no. I know. Timer <laughs> cap. So I, I'm just giving you my opinion that you know self accountability no. has solved so many things. I mean, if my child um, never has to uh, worry about money, then you know they never learn to do that. As a matter of fact, some of the most unhappy people are trust fund babies. Absolutely. Right? Why? Because they have no self accountability. They get up every morning. They don't have to be accountable to anybody, and and sure. and they're. Uh, and their money's dropped in. It's uh, it's not a healthy way to go about it. And I think insurance is kind of the same way. One <laughs> one final question on this subject before we get off it. Um, why is it that in Australia I can go and have any amount of health care it costs nothing? I don't have to pay a penny to anybody. And the cost per head of health care in Australia is $1,700 a year. And yet here, where the costs are horrendous, the costs are eight or $9,000 per person per year. Are we just a hell of a lot sicker than Australians are, or is the system just fucked? <laughs> well, let, let me just say that there's a lot of people who have uh, their hands in the insurance pockets, yeah. um, you know, and... Uh, uh, there, there's just a lot of money and inefficiencies that we see, right? right. I mean, we, we have intermediaries that are taking a piece of it, you know, and these intermediaries, insurance companies, their job is to say no yeah. instead of yes, because the more they say no, the more they make money. And, um, you know, we have employer groups that are built uh, to uh, manage their own costs. You know, right. in Australia, we're talking more about it's self-accountable, and it's um, it's not run through the businesses. No. So I think that's where we're we're both on the same page, talking the same exact items. Is that when the individual has to be responsible for it, we find that everything goes down. So you know, there, if if you had to pay seventy five dollars for an aspirin at a hospital, right? You're not going to go there. I mean, that's not reasonable. But the fact is, is if your insurance goes through it, you don't care. That's right. And that's it. And so that's why we find aspirin costing $75 per tablet. We're finding, you know, these, in, you know, incredible amounts for things. And, and, and rightly so, because what happens is insurance companies say no five to six times before they'll say yes to even a provider. Right. So you can submit the claim. And so... So many inefficiencies, I can't even tell you. It's, it's ridiculous. So um, uh, that would be my comment on it. Your thoughts? Um, well, let's get back to business just quickly because we don't have a huge <laughs> amount of time. But um, what's next for Larry Twersky? How long are you going to hang in there with timer cap? Or do you pass it on to a CEO and come up with a, something else? Or what's the future hold? So right now we have the brand new connected products. We have a brand new ICAP. We have a brand new seven-day pill box. So we have the uh, ICAP, which is basically connected. We now have the seven-day pill box, which talks to a smartphone. You know, we're having a lot of fun here. You know, people always ask me, when do you sell your business and when do you know it's time to sell? Well, there's a few times that I know. Number one, A, I can't contribute as much as... um, uh, any more to the business that could make it accelerate and grow. Two, somebody's willing to pay me more for the business than I think it's worth. Or three, that I think there's a shift in the market and, uh, and it's time to move on to something new. I never worry about my next project. It's kind of like a Hollywood and a Hollywood movie, you know, an actor. If the, the last movie was excellent, there's the next one. The next script's always there for you. True. And so I'm focused on working on timer cap getting it out there so that doctors and uh, prescribers know about it and could actually start to prescribe it and that we can fix opioid abuse by just putting in a simple preventative measure. I think all the other tools that they're using for um, 
opioid abuse are all draconian. The doctor can't write you a prescription. The doctor needs to be circumspect. Uh, there's just so many scrutinies that are not patient-friendly, and there's no tool to allow somebody who had a simple surgery, started on pain meds, and they go down that slippery slope. So right. my goal is that um, I have a long way to go before you know my icky guy here is understood and that we help people get through opioid addiction. One of the things I didn't mention is my mom uh, passed away at 60. Right. She was addicted to pain medication her entire life. I remember as nine years old having to give her Demerol shots in her tush. Yeah. First of all, no, no nine-year-old should ever see their mother's tush at that age <laughs> on a consistent basis. But we were involved in giving my mom all of her medication because she was so strung out about it. And so this is one of our passions. Uh, once we get through on this one, I'm confident there will be something new for us to fix in the world. And uh, I look forward to that opportunity when it happens. For now, we're focused on helping this uh, situation. And you're just the guy to fix it. Larry, thanks very much for speaking with me on the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. And you can learn more about Larry and TimerCap by going to TimerCap.com. And I'll be back with more of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show in just a few minutes. From the boardroom to you. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking, absolutely no bullshit business radio show on Voice America Business Channel, the number one global business radio show for entrepreneurs. We're very proud of that. And this week we're broadcasting from Hollywood Boulevard in Los Angeles where technology meets entertainment. Now, entrepreneurs looking for investor funding often fail to realize that all money comes with strings. So when pitching for funds, you make or break question is specify precisely what you're going to do with the funds that you receive. And if your, your response is along the lines of, I want to pay myself a salary or I need to pay back some loans, you have just killed your chances. Investors want their funds to be used for moving forward, not addressing earlier issues. So here are some guidelines that will help you with the right answers, not only in closing your next investment, but in planning when and how much money to ask for. Firstly, investors are most interested in helping you scale the business. Now, they normally only invest in startups with a working product that's already been sold to some customers for full price. They're usually willing to cover marketing, inventory and scaling, but not product development. Secondly, make your focus and your priorities clear. I recommend you simply use no more than three categories with a percent allocation to each. An example might be 50% for marketing, 30% for inventory, 20% for staffing. Have backup charts for investors who will inevitably want more details. Funding for founder salaries is a big red flag, as I mentioned a minute ago. Investors expect you to bet on the future the same as they are. You may pay salaries to your team, but your salary should come from earnings when they occur, the same as you're asking them to do. Four, make sure allocation amounts are reasonable. These days, even viral marketing requires real money and often seriously real money for events and promotions. Startups whose marketing budget is low, well, you lose credibility and most likely you'll lose the investment. On the other hand, a huge marketing budget implies an intent to um, spray and pray in hopes that something works. That is also not acceptable. The use of funds must be tied to projected cash flow objectives. So if you ask for a million dollars, 
your financial projections better show a negative cash flow approximate, approximating that number with a 20% buffer. Investors are not interested in giving you money to keep in the bank for a backup for investing in real estate or a new car. They're not interested. Number six, tie use of funds to real milestones. A valid milestone might be closing a big name customer or it might mean getting your first 100,000 social media followers by a certain date. Building a huge inventory before you have a confirmed customer is not a good strategy. Now, if you're really looking for research and development money and you didn't sell your last startup for a billion dollars, professional investors are not the place to start looking. Hopefully, you can find some friends, maybe a rich uncle (laughs) who believe in your potential. The other alternative is to find a strategic partner who knows the space well and will benefit from your solution. Professional investors always look for a proven business model and an existing revenue stream because that minimises their risk. Then they look at the people behind the model, the execution status and how they might get their money back. Your proposed use of their funds will be seen in these three contexts. They're going to look to your business plan for cash flows and specific return on investment projections. After all, they're giving you money to make a profit and put it back in their pocket as fast as possible. So in all cases, your goal must be explained how the investment will help you scale up the business and make more money quicker. You should always be prepared to mention a plan B, if possible, to grow more slowly by reinvesting initial earnings over time. Confessing that you're in a survival mode, desperate for money now, will significantly diminish your odds with investors. So whether it be in a context of a five-minute elevator pitch or a more formal presentation to professional investors, the projected use of funds should be summarised and prioritised in three chunks. These must remain focused on scaling the business. Investors want to be convinced that your use of their money will maximise their returns in the first few years as well as your returns. After that, all you have to do is make it happen. So have fun. That's the most important thing. As Larry said earlier, have fun. Dedicate yourself. Focus. So I invite you to go to my website, bobpritchard.com, and enrol for my daily newsletter, As I said earlier, 81,000 executives get that every single day. Very few people unsubscribe and heaps of new people come on board every day. It takes just 30 seconds to read it and it'll keep you up to date with all the business news that's important. So go to bobpritchard.com. It also has information about my consulting, um, my speaking, um, the radio show, as information about everything. So if you're interested in hiring me for a presentation at your conference, that's the place to go. Um, We've got some big news next week for the newsletter. We're just doing a deal, hopefully. I'll let you know if it falls over and I'll let you know if it goes through. But um, a deal to increase the number of people that read the newsletter every week to one point. 8 million. Now, if that comes through, and I'm hoping it will, I will let you know next week, and that would be fantastic. Now, remember, if you're not living on the edge, you're just taking up way too much space. So get out of the way and let somebody who wants to succeed get past you. You know, there's too many people that take and not enough people that give. You've got to bite off more than you can chew and you've got to chew like hell. That's the way to be successful. And, you know, it's a lot easier and it's much more rewarding to do the impossible than it is to do the bloody ordinary. Anyone can do the ordinary. So next week, I'll again be broadcasting from Hollywood Boulevard right here in beautiful Los Angeles where entertainment meets technology and I hope that you can join me again.
In the meanwhile, continue to be successful because the alternative really sucks. I'm Bob Pritchard. You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life.